Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome back to another episode of Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. I am the devilishly handsome Ryan Seabold, and with me today is a man who got kicked out of the Avengers for having too lame of a superpower, Mr. Jason Peters! What's up, Ryan? How's it going, buddy? It's going pretty good, man. It's going pretty good. Uh, talk about X Men. You are the X Man. Uh, no longer. <laughs> yes, and for those who <laughs> no didn't pick up EX Dash Man. Yuck, yuck. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this. I know it's a sensitive topic. You're a little. Uh, you've been a little down and out. A little de- de- distraught that you. You know, a little rejected. Um, that's a big. Uh, big thing to lose um you were in it for just a minute you were pretty excited you thought you had the gig and then uh here we are yeah you know uh i gotta admit man i it really i was struggling to come up with a decent superpower man like me and my agent were sitting there because you know these days like everything's way different first of all just a little bit of backstory for those listening it's not like back in the day where you know oh spider-man peter parker gets bit by a radioactive spider and Boom, he's Spider-Man. That was back in the day, okay? You had like a dozen superheroes total, so everybody got a seat at the table, okay? (laughs) Nowadays, things are competitive, okay? It's not like you just, oh, wow, you have a superpower. Get in line, buddy, right? So now you've got to go through like basically what's superhero indeed, Uh, I forget the name of it, but you got to like go through this whole submission process and anyways. So yeah, so... Basically, when it comes to the superpower thing, I totally thought I was like, okay... Uh, you know, there's a lot of superheroes that are going more towards like, you know, these really badass powers, but like, there's no real soft superheroes. Right. And so I was thinking like, well, wouldn't it be cool if there was a superhero where his power is that like, uh, he can basically fart out roses, right? Uh, it was sort of the best of both worlds. It was a little juvenile, but it also would appear to like the females. Um, that didn't work at first. So then I was like, okay, what if there was something involving cotton balls? Either way, by the end, when all was said and done, we had settled on, okay, so my superhero is a guy that creates rainbows out of his fingers and the and and basically the light blinds the people so that the other superheroes can then go do the damage. It was kind of like a support character. I was playing a lot of Overwatch at the time, and I was trying to think outside the box. <laughs> and uh, yeah, people just did not dig it. I was Rainbow Man, and and it was weird too because like there was a sort a certain swelling out of like the West Hollywood community that was like really all about Rainbow Man, and we still don't know exactly where that came from or why that was. But um, yeah, it didn't take at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I don't know if there was a pot of gold involved or, or uh, you know, the, the spectrum is a powerful light source. Um, <laughs> I could see where you were going with that. You know, all the colors in there. Every, it was Yeah. Very and, you know, it's 21. Sure, so we were trying know? to go with like a diversity thing, you know, and like the rainbows were supposed to represent like all the different, you know, colors of beings coming together as one. Yeah. yeah you know, and we thought it was yeah, a I really mean, powerful next metaphor. Time- 
Look, I'm a big Marvel guy and uh, big in the MCU. We've talked about this. I'm a big fan. Um, next time you should call me and uh, <laughs> we can workshop this a little bit. Um, you know, maybe uh, just off the dome, I'm thinking like paperclip man. Like what if you were like, like uh, when oh. you need to reset your router and you always are looking for the paperclip that you could like un unfold so you could like poke the little reset button. Dude, that's huge. That's way useful. You could be like at least living around the X mansion for that. Uh, I'm sure Tony Stark needs to reboot things. Um, you know, Paperclip man, uh, that could work. I <laughs> okay, so here's the thing, I'm Ryan. Just like up. you, you know, you're not really in it, so you don't know this. But um, there's already Clippy. Now, if that sounds oh, familiar shit. to any of you out there, it's because he actually got started as a digital creation uh, within the Windows 95 Microsoft Word platform. Uh, he was a little little guy who would pop up and say, hey, do you need help with uh, that with that Word file you're doing there? And his name was Clippy, and he was a paperclip with a smiley face. So he achieved sentience sometimes between 1995 and 2019 That's or so. That's where he went. Okay. Yeah, they're not really yep. clear exactly when, but something happened between this large gap. All of a sudden, he started showing up for those auditions, and man, first of all, Dude is ripped these days. I don't know what the hell they've got him on diet-wise, right? <laughs> but uh, he is a jumbo paperclip, to be certain, for sure. And uh, I got to admit, dude, hell of a charmer. Guy is just always willing to lend a hand, man. Like, it doesn't matter what you're working on. He's always right there like, hey, can I help? Hey, can I help? Hey, can I help? It's really annoying. Hey, can I can I help you uh, stop the apocalypse or uh, <laughs> defeat Galactus? Right. I get it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, well, we'll get you back in, buddy. It'll work. It'll work. Uh, I was wondering where Clippy went. I'm glad I know now. Um, speaking of Avengers, we got the original French Avengers film, The Wages of Fear. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, why don't you break this down for us? <laughs> ba -da -da! Wages of Fear. <laughs> I mean, you got Eve Montlon as Captain America. You got uh, Charles Vanell as Iron Man. You got Vera Clouseau as Black Widow. Yeah. It's all about that life. Well, yeah, no, Google has this as a slightly different description. It reads In the South American jungle, supplies of nitroglycerin are needed at a remote oil field. The oil company pays four men to deliver the supplies in two trucks, and a tense rivalry develops between the two sets of drivers on on the rough remote roads where the slightest jolt can result in death. Ryan, what did you think about this movie? I think that sounds like a good origin story. I think that's uh, <laughs> the MCU setting us up for something back in 1955. I'm looking into it. Uh, Mephisto is coming. I'm predicting it now. Jason, <laughs> I would love to tell you, except we got a trailer to listen to. No, we don't actually. There's no trailer. It's a foreign <laughs> film. You do this if you listen to the show. Well, you know, I mean, I suppose we didn't set up that it's a French film, so maybe you've never heard of this. And maybe we just got you, in which case, <laughs> you guys got burnt by the Esoterica Cinema Crew. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll stop that annoyance <laughs> here. No, let's go ahead and, uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and actually review this movie. Uh, move about this nonsense along here and start getting into The Wages of Fear from 1953. Ryan, I just need a good place for us to start. At the beginning! Fair enough. So, for our opening shot, after a rather typical credit sequence, which features actually a really wonderful Spanish guitar piece, we're treated to a black and white close-up of these cockroaches. Now, these cockroaches are tied up by strings and writhing on their backs, at which point we immediately cut to a medium-wide shot 
of a young boy who's really ultimately naked save for a dirty, tattered tank top. Now he's playing with said cockroaches as a drink vendor appears behind him, entering the frame from the left side and capturing the boy's attention. The camera pans to show us that there's many distraught villagers before ultimately settling on a vulture who stands next to a puddle of water, and it becomes very clear that the town that we find ourselves in is not a prosperous one. So Ryan, from there, they show us more of this village, okay? The town's fleshed out, and we learn that it's really destitute. Uh, it's really underdeveloped, right? It's a poor town, and that drink vendor, we follow him over to this, like, convenience store slash bar uh, where we meet the locals. Uh, we see, you know, they're they're obviously poor, they're dirty, uh, they're standing around, there's not really work available, uh, and, and also, I thought it was really great that they introduced one of the characters uh, in the most anti-save-the-cat way possible. Now, we, I th- believe I've mentioned this before, like the term save the cat. Do you know what that is, Ryan? <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. And for the listeners who don't, it basically states that it's a screenwriting principle. Uh, and it states that if you want your audience to buy into your character, have them save a cat. Right at the top of the story, okay? First thing they do in the movie, save a cat. Why? Give them something heroic like, to do. Yeah, exactly. We're going to like that person automatically, right? Built-in sympathy. So the anti-saving the cat would be throw a rock at a dog, which is yes. exactly what this one guy does. <laughs> and I just, again, it was because this. I believe the save the cat advice principle, whatever you want to call it, was sort of like uh, discovered or, you know, popularized in the 70s. So yes. I love that like 20 something years prior, this guy was like, ah, fuck that dog, throw a rock at him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, it establishes these dudes as some, uh, yeah, yeah. some bad mamma jammas, you know? Absolutely. Um, and no, it's he great. It's very effective. Says, uh, I thought it was interesting, you know, just talking about this one scene real quick that uh, I hate mutts. Uh, when he's throwing rocks, yeah. he goes back to his homies uh, and settles in in this rocking chair, this old man, and that it was throwing the rocks at the dog. And uh, he's like, I hate mutts. And then we come to find out that these dudes are all kind of mutts, right? So, like, yeah. salty uh, dogs, know. as it were. A little bit. Uh, but, uh, but I think also, too, there's an element of because. After he says it, our main protagonist that will be introduced to shortly, he kind of gives him a look, sort of like a, ah, what the hell are you talking about, dude, look, right? So, I don't know, maybe it's sort of like, oh, well, that guy likes dogs, so we like him automatically, right? Setting up the contrast, because ultimately he's the protagonist. Either way. So... Uh, you know, we also immediately get the, <laughs> again, I think long before such, uh, such, uh, actions were tropes, we get the, uh, convenience store yelling at the locals to buy something or get out, right? <laughs> He's like, what are you guys doing just hanging out here all day? Buy some soda or get the hell out. And I think one guy like buys a Coke to kind of hold him over. And then everyone else like, nah, whatever, dude. Uh, it's like, you can just almost see like the greaser kids like, yeah, Pierce, buddy. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Some good old-fashioned mid-century loitering. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. And among these people is our protagonist named Mario, played by a gentleman by, uh, which I believe is pronounced Ives Montag. Uh, And he is rather handsome and cocksure in the face of what are obviously dwindling employment opportunities, even managing to charm a gorgeous restaurant worker, played by one Vera Clouseau. Did you uh, happen to check that out, Ryan? I did. This is the wife of our director, Henri Georges Clouseau. Indeed it was. And he actually wrote this role specifically for her. Uh, The character of Linda, who she plays, is actually not in the book that this was adapted from. 
Yeah, she's uh, only acted in his films, apparently. So uh, this is a bit of a brief acting stint uh, in support in the same way that your wife does all our uh, female vocal talent on our sketches. (laughs) (laughs) And does a fine job. And yes, as it turns out, banging the director, great way to land yourself a role. Moving on up. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's how I got on this podcast, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, we also soon soon learn two facts about this town very quickly. The first is that it's essentially run and dominated by SOC, which is an American oil drilling company. And though it's obviously exploitative and, you know, takes advantage of the land and the people, it's really the only opportunities for paid work in the entire town. So the townspeople just kind of put up with it. And, you know, a number of them do, in fact, work for them, uh, including some characters we're going to introduce later. We also learned that the village is so remote that it's only accessible by plane. And uh, if that sounds like a lot of setup, we've actually still got a a ways to go. Now, that's kind of one of the things that I wanted to ask you, Ryan, which is. This is a film Holy that really ultimately shit. takes a long time to really get going. Uh, and, and I'm interested what you thought about that. Did you think it was too much? Did it drag the film down? Or did you think it really did a good job of sort of setting up what was to come later? What was your sort of response to all that? This whole film, Jason, is a huge mixed bag for me. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, and I, I, I don't know if it was for you. There's a lot of things I love about this film. The film in its entirety, I did enjoy. Uh, okay. Let's just go ahead and start there. Uh, so I'm not coming at this from a negative standpoint, but there were elements of the film that I questioned. And sure. the dude, so act one, and I'm not kidding you. Uh, this is a two and a half hour film um, ish. And the act one is an hour. It take, it's minute. And I checked it's minute 58 that we actually start getting on with it to go yeah. do the nitroglycerin shit. So, uh, yeah, you are in for a haul, my friends. And you're not really, here's the thing, dude. Like you're not, it's, it's not, it's not really showing you a lot of character development. I mean, it kind of is, but there's a lot of repetitive stuff or things that may have been trimmed down a little bit. Uh, the Luigi characters dynamic with Mr. Joe and Mr. Joe's dynamic with Mario. By the way, we get our first Mario and Luigi appearance. I was hoping you would bring that up. I was hey, going to if you didn't. <laughs> French Mario, right? Yeah, which is also funny like because cheese. Luigi looks like Mario in this movie. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's also, total role, role reversal. Also, I don't know if you thought this, but I, th- I thought it was hilarious because I felt like Luigi looked exactly like Nacho Libre. <laughs> he, totally does. he totally does but they totally do look like reverse bizarro edition yeah. uh, mario and luigi <laughs> except luigi's like a handsome lothario and but Mario to answer your question I, I so this film man where do i even start this film is kind of like our last film where it's uh, the last detail where um even in its moments where there isn't a lot going on or there isn't a lot of character development it's still enjoyable the characters themselves are enjoyable to watch the acting is great um and uh and they give you enough to kind of hang your hat on uh, what's going on on screen uh between these characters that you get to know the dynamic now could you argue that that could have been done in 15 minutes instead of an hour? Uh, yeah, probably, or a half an hour, or 45 minutes, or anything shorter than this. Uh, probably. You spend a lot of time in this town um, yeah. with Mr. Joe taking uh, 
uh, Luigi's pants and then Mario's dynamic with Mr. Joe and Mr. Joe standing off and like all these things to kind of just really get across that these guys are rough and tumble dudes that kind of don't get along. And there's a couple of sides that people take with uh, Mario and Mr. Joe on one side and Luigi and pretty much everybody else, Bimba and, um, you know, all the other ragtag group of individuals kind of on the other side of the fence. And, uh, and they're, you know, showing us this town is very destitute. They're setting up the oil company, as you stated, as being the only economic opportunity. Um, yeah. and what's going on with, uh, Mr. O'Brien and, and, uh, his role as the leader of, uh, Southern Oil Company, which is kind of a stand-in for Standard Oil Company, which was the oil company at the time. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't know, man. And then the Linda <laughs> stuff with Vera Clouseau was kind of tagged on, but definitely as a soft on, element yeah. to, um, you know, so I can't hate on any of these things. Uh, the Linda character was great. I mean, she was fantastic. Um, well, it's also literally the only female role, dude. And I think, I mean, right. You know, even even you back then, for completely that. different reasons, you had to have a female character in your movie, or they wouldn't make it, right? Well, like you how just many times did they force the, a love love interest in movies that didn't really need them? It just would have been way too machismo. Otherwise, these yeah, dudes are sure. all rough and tumble dudes, and like. They're all kind of well, like. Well, it also you know, establishes chest like the protagonist out. is kind of like, you know, the Lothario swinging Playboy dude. So, you know, you get that aspect of it. But, right. And here's, look, here's the thing. Little I sympathy I totally, too, because he's trying to make it back to her, you know, like she says, please come back safe and blah, blah, yeah. blah. So it gives you a little something to like, with an otherwise very unlikable situation with these guys, it does give you like something to cling on to as a protagonist sure. to make him feel like a protagonist. Otherwise you just have this, uh, odd group of folks that, uh, you know, who do I even root for? Because they're all very unlikable. So, um, you get these moments with each of them in this hour of setup for act one that lets you, uh, sympathize or empathize with each one of them for different reasons. Uh, Bimba is one of our characters and Mr. Joe, each one of them, we see a little bit of weakness or a little bit of softness, uh, in the midst, uh, in the midst of uh, a mostly gruff exterior that they're putting on, yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I I do and I don't, and we'll 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 come around back to the characterizations in a little bit. Uh, the one thing that I do want to say is I totally get the criticism, but I actually was impressed with the setup. I I could totally see how it's a little bit disconnected, but at the same time, it's one of those things where once you get these guys on the road, that's I mean. That's it. It becomes an action right. thriller. There's no more opportunity for characterization, talking about setting. Um, you know, I mean, maybe you've got to like ham fist something with a radio in there and try to communicate stuff that way. Like, but really, you know, as much time as we spend in this town is as much time as we're going to get to flesh out this world. And that's really what impressed me the most is it felt like a real fleshed out world to me. Like this village felt lived in, right? Um, okay. It's, it, and, and, you know, the way that they did show the characters and, you know, the effect of the oil company on the town and, um, and especially the way that they sort of slow played the reveal of Joe and his whole character, you know, not being quite what he seems up front. There's a lot of things that they were able to do at that time. And the funny thing is, I'll tell you what, right? I, I, I started feeling like, OK, you know, at 30 minutes, I was like, wow, this is a little long. And then right about minute 45 is when I was like, OK, th this thing officially needs to kick in. And even though they don't get on the road until one hour. Uh, they actually start to put in put in motion the plan at minute 45 because I checked in minute 45 is when they have the meeting, uh, the uh, 
the oil company does of the people dis- discussing how they're going to. That's when the oil field blows up, and then and then they discuss how they're going to transport the nitro, which sure, really right. is like you know end of Act One, you know, sort of that's fair. clearly identifying. So so yeah, so it's a it's a forty five fifty fifty five minute first act, which is very very long, one hundred percent. But at the same time, it would have been a much shallower film if it was just them getting from here to there. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it makes it a far more one-dimensional film than it ultimately ended up being. And claustrophobic, because they're in those trucks pretty much the entire time. They get out to like True. solve problems. Um, but a lot of the cinematography, like the, the, where you are with them in the, uh, you know, majority of act two is in the cabs of these trucks. And we're going to yeah. get into that shortly and, and why that works or why that doesn't. But, uh, as far as I'm concerned, but, um, yeah, I, I like to act one. I, I don't, I'm not against it. And it felt very 1950s. It was, you know, um, kind of that. I don't know, noir swag a little bit, you know, everyone's got some cool thing to do. Everyone's kind of flipping a coin or smoking a cigarette or listening to a jukebox (laughs) or playing cards. Everybody's got some cool shit going on. Like it's fun to watch. And so never was there a moment where I was like, come on, you know, like (laughs) it just, it, it was odd because we had just gotten through doing, um, two films that didn't have much of an act one, uh, last detail in 36 chambers of, uh, Shaolin. So, Um, <laughs> this was overcorrecting for them. And this is the other way. Yeah. And that's not to say that this is a bad thing. It was just, ju- you know, odd to be juxtaposed where this is a majority of act one. And yeah, v- by the way, very little act three, uh, act three is yeah. like, and it's by far the weakest of the entire film. And we'll get into that by the end of this episode here. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but so interestingly enough, you know, once we establish all of this in terms of the film, you know, getting back to it, uh, we were introduced to Joe right now he gets off the plane like I said the only way to get into this town by plane he's looking like a mafioso boss even down to the point that he slips the customs inspector at 10 now Ryan quick aside by the way I looked this up what do you think the equivalent of $10 in 1953 is today it's got to be like 100 bucks right so here's the thing I thought it would have been a lot higher than that too and it's a lot lower, which dramatically affects the value of the price that these people were offered for this incredibly <laughs> dangerous job, okay? Because I came to the same conclusion because I was like, "What's what seems like a good amount of money that these guys would do such a thing for? I came to the conclusion about 200000 to a quarter mil. So roughly, therefore, yeah, 10 bucks. You know, a dollar must be 100 This 10 must be closer to 1000 No. No, a dollar in 1953 was the equivalent of ten dollars and thirty six cents today, meaning the two thousand dollars that they were offered for this job barely amounted to to less than twenty one thousand. Twenty one grand. Twenty one grand to do that shit. Hell no. We'll get back. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But Look, anyways, man, here's the thing. We've been talking <laughs> about this for a long time. No one wants to transfer nitroglycerin in broken trucks anymore. And the reason <laughs> is nobody's paying them enough money. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. So, yeah, but after he does that, he grabs a taxi into town. He's mobbed by the villagers because he appears to be this very rich and wealthy guy. And uh, he identifies himself by whistling what is ultimately a French tune that the protagonist Mario recognizes and sort of joins in with him. And they're like, ah, you're a Frenchman. Ah, yes, I'm a Frenchman, too. Ah, let's be friends, fellow Frenchmen. Friends, fellow (laughs) Frenchmen. Wow, that's some unique New York shit. Um, and so, yeah, so then they start hanging out, they go to the bar, they drink and they smoke and they start trying to come up with ways to make money. Right. And Joe quickly reveals that he's kind of got a shitty disposition. Like I said, you know, he's kind of checking off these mafioso boss, uh, boxes, you know, where he's coming in big, hot and heavy and Mr. Bigwig with a nice suit and he slips the guy a bunch of money, the customs guy to let him in and, you know, look past what's going on and blah, blah, blah. But he's not really going to reveal himself to be that when all is said and done. But I also think that it makes him the most interesting character. So, you know, when he shows up here, they're in the bar and he basically starts sort of fighting with the locals about turning off the music and, you know, it's like, why are you being so aggressively hostile to like these people? And he's trying to just kind of like flex and show that he's like this big badass guy. And that's just going to, again, completely unravel over, over the course of the film. And I think that's really interesting. So you mentioned earlier, Ryan, let's go ahead and talk about this. The the characters, you know, and them being sort of these rough and tumble guys and, you know, not having a lot. I didn't really find them to be dislikable. I think that Joe ultimately is really the only one that I was outwardly against the entire time. Uh, I think, uh, you know, whatever his name, Mimba or Simba or Mimbu or whatever the hell Bimba. that quiet yeah. guy is, Bimba, like he's too quiet to really have an opinion on, right? Like he's just like, to me, you know who he was? He was like the silent Swede. In every movie, is in certain movies, there's always this sort of like silent Swedish character, usually on like yes. a heist film or something. That that was him in this one. Like um, he's definitely killed someone with a straight razor. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is his pulse never even rose the entire time, right? He's that guy. Um, right. So, and then you've got this Luigi guy who's just, you know, again, like a friendly, almost like a, one of those jovial Mexican sorts, right? You know, he's friends with everybody and just, uh, you know, going to invite you to his home and make you food and just hang out, right? And, you know, he's kind of sympathetic because he's been working so long for the oil company that he's got cement in his lungs, as we find out later, and, uh, yes. you know, he's just, again, friends with everybody, likable. He kind of uh, comes then, off as John Reese davies uh, apart from Indiana, the Indiana Jones movies that uh, okay. always helps Indy, you know, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. Like, kind of jolly and, hey, Indy, you know. Hey. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got the main guy who, you know, I think was likable enough, you know, he was, he was, he was. Uh, it, it kind of in that Jack Nicholson from Last Detail way, he kind of worked both ends of the spectrum, right? Like he is pretty selfish and self-interested, but when it came down to it, he also like would tend to, you know, do stuff for other people or, but then he would also kind of act, you know, in self-interest, but it was really just yeah. Joe that he was ultimately against. He's got a bit of a um, Bogart film. Like, so uh, yeah, Bogart, you know. Uh, Chip not on his quite shoulder. an anti-hero, but straddling that line, but ultimately right, he right. wins you over. And this film kind of had some John Huston vibes. I don't know if you felt that. I mean, I haven't seen a whole lot of John Huston films, but the few that I have, that's what, that, that, I mean, it's kind of like, seemed like what they were going for. Oh, it's kind of wait. a treasure of Sierra Madre type, you know? Oh, you where, know what? I think it's, uh, huh. I actually think it's been a minute since we've had a cinematic confession. Oh, shit. Yeah, I've never seen a John Ford film. John Huston? Or, sorry, John Huston. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, and well then what is it, Henry we Ford? Can, uh, get to a couple of those. Maybe we'll have to add some of his more uh, lesser known. No oh, wait, who made to... the Searchers? 
Wasn't that John Ford? Pretty sure John Ford made the searchers, dude. Well, I'm talking about John Houston, the guy that made uh, Treasure of Sierra Nevada. Yes, I'm talking about John Houston. Okay. A- African Queen, Maltese Falcon, Treasure of Sierra Madre. All right. Acted in Chinatown. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. Never seen one of his movies. I mean, I've seen movies that he's appeared in, but never one he's made. Okay. All right. Did he make The Searchers? Do you know that? Do you know? Uh, Well, John Ford did. So okay, so, right, so they are I'm different right. people. I'm just trying to, <laughs> yes, I'm just trying to figure out if they were two different people or if I made one of them up in my head, which is entirely possible. No, no. Yeah, no, there okay. are two definite people. One is John Ford who made The, Stur- the Searchers and, uh, you know, did a lot of uh, John Wayne movies. And then okay. there's John Huston who did a lot of, like, Bogart films and film noir. And he was a rough and tumble dude. And he, like straight up went out to go live in Africa, I believe, to go film uh, The African Queen. And uh, yeah, he was a fucking weird guy. And that's an episode all its own talking about John Houston, <laughs> from what I understand of him. Uh, the only thing I was... really know about him is that he's Angelica Houston's dad. Yep, there's a little bit of that too. Yep, that's definitely a thing. So there's <laughs> definitely definitely two different people. Uh, gotcha. have, you, have you seen either of their films? None. <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. Neither of them. Double confession. Double confession. Yes. Hey. Okay. Uh, but um. But yeah. So uh. So here's the thing: is I I did kind of end up liking all of the characters, and I think that part of it too is that like every single one of them are really sort of hard on your sleeve sorts, right? Like outside of Joe, who ultimately is duplicitous and presents himself as something that he is very much not. Everybody else just is who they are, and they don't really try to pretend to be anyone else, and they. They live or die by those characteristics. And I think that makes them sympathetic and and likable. Yes. I also have in my notes that uh, Vera Clouseau's character of Linda is the first, uh, potentially the first manic pixie dream girl. Ah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Who exists solely to uh, support Mario. We, uh, uh, you know, but she's also here. like or just Luigi. kind of the uh, damsel in distress, too. It's... A it's bit, a, a little bit. bit of both. Give me this. Give me this one thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I take it back. You're absolutely right, my friend. Very first appearance. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, from there, you know, Joe and Mario try to get some work. They end up going to find uh, one of Joe's old friends who now has a management position at the old SOC, the oil company. Uh, he can't really help him out. That's when we're formally introduced to uh, the Luigi character. Again, looking like Nacho Libre as he does. Out working hard under the sun, getting concrete in his lungs and shit. Uh, you know, they all meet up at the bar later. Joe's a dick to him again, but he kind of stands his ground, Mario, that is, and they all sort of end up chanting and singing, you know, once he pulls out the jukebox and shit like that, so they kind of let him know that they're not going to take his shit, and finally, the story sort of begins in earnest when the next morning, the town wakes up to protest the local oil well catching fire, though it's not exactly local, it's a little far away, Um, and it it has resulted in a number of deaths, And they've determined that they need to cap the well through an explosion set off by nitroglycerin. And they're unsure how they're going to transport this because it's too dangerous of a job for the union to take on. And so they end up discussing, discussing, determine that they're going to give $2,000 to four people, local townspeople, non-union, to transport all of this nitroglycerin in two trucks and uh, again, Ryan, I was convinced that this would have been at least worth a quarter mil. Easy. Nope. $20,000 in today's money. <laughs> in today's yeah. money. Uh, that's Absolutely the wages. Insane. 
That's the wages of fear. That's what we find out. <laughs> what are the wages of fear, you ask? $20,000 per head. Shockingly yeah. low. Today's money, American. <laughs> so needless to say, uh, but, uh, you know, again, it's it's not a town where there's a lot of work available. So we've got about, what, roughly eight to a dozen people or so that show up to audition, if you will, or apply for the job. Uh, and, you know, they each one of them says that they are a professional truck driver, though they are clearly not. And each of them has to take a test. When all is said and done, four of them get selected. And, you know, we've got our boy... Uh, Mario, uh, we've got our boy Luigi. <laughs> it's just so funny, Mario and Luigi every time. Uh, and then Bimba gets selected along with um, uh, someone else. And uh, and basically, like, Joe is like, Joe doesn't get selected, right? But he's been a main character thus far, and he's kind of like, oh, I didn't get selected. Okay, no problem. Hey, uh, just wanted to know if uh, one of them doesn't show up tomorrow morning, can I have his spot? And he's like, uh, well, that's weird, <laughs> but sure. And he's like, okay, cool. Just wondering for, you know, nothing you need to follow up on. See you later. For reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. That's my business. Don't need to ask questions. Just curious. Look over and there. <laughs> and then he pieces out. <laughs> so the next morning, who strolls in but Joe? And he's like, hey, guys, just wanted to see off my friends. And, oh, such and such never made it? No way. Well, I mean, I guess since I'm already here, I might as well. <laughs> um, which is also, uh, if you watch South Park, exactly how uh, Cartman got to go to Casa Bonita. By locking butters in a locker. I wonder if this is the inspiration for that. I, <laughs> I understand they do have some pretty like random esoteric inspirations. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, oh, yeah, totally. So the guy obviously gets Joe, that is, gets uh, the guy's job. And uh, the manager basically says, all right, well, you know, let's go ahead. You've got a, a 300 mile drive here. And uh, we're going to put all the nitroglycerin in two separate vehicles. And I want you to leave 30 minutes apart just for safety, just in case anything happens. And Joe and Mario are the lucky ones that get the bigger truck that's going to leave first. Uh, to your point, we do get that shot of uh, Linda's character like, no, no, please don't go. And he's like, ah, away with you. I've got money to make. Right. And knocks her off the vehicle. And she's like, oh, such a foolish man. Um, and yeah, it's very that was quickly. rough. <laughs> she was introduced right after the dogs got uh, thrown the rock. You know, they're throwing the rocks at the dogs. And then she comes in literally on her hands and knees and gets petted like said dog. And I was like, wow, that's some that's a statement. And then <laughs> we leave her the last time we see her until the end of the film. Uh, yeah, she gets pushed off the side of this truck. Like uh, she's like, I love you. Please come home safe. And he's like, get away, bitch. And he like shows her off the thing. <laughs> like he's Dave Chappelle for the Chappelle show. It's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh um, he's keeping his pimp hands uh, strong. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and, and from there, you know, it's not very quickly that we see the uh, cracks in, in old boy Joe's facade start to appear. Right off the bat, you know, he's he's driving their vehicle and he is starting to sweat very profusely to the point that Mario has to like be like, dude, what the hell's going on? And he's basically just like, ah, yeah, no, no, it's cool. It's just a, a little bit of malaria is all that is. It's like, yeah, no big what? deal. No big deal. Yeah, just no, a little just, bit of malaria. Just, don't worry. It's going to get a little bit of malaria. <laughs> and uh he's driving super slow he's you know really scared obviously stops very soon you know uh mario gets out of the vehicle. he's like what the hell are you doing he's like oh no 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 we'll just stop we'll just stop it's fine this guy's like always making excuses to the point that 
with only after a few miles, like three miles of their 300 mile trip, uh, the other vehicle catches up to them already. And so then Luigi gets out and he's it's never going to be funny. Mario and Luigi every time. So Luigi every gets time. out and he's fighting with Mario. And, uh, you know, he's basically like, ah, nuts to you. I'm going to go ahead and go ahead. So Luigi and Bimba take off and go ahead of him. Uh, Mario, that is. And it very shortly sets up kind of what I feel is one of the film's more effective suspense uh, sequences. Because at this point, you know, once they get out of the town, it's really ultimately just like a suspense and action film, you know. Uh, and, and I think it does that pretty damn well through most of it, but none more so Dude, than this washboard sequence. You know which one I'm th- talking this about? Whole f- this whole film is... I just can't... Because look, I mean, there's no music. Let's start there. The whole thing is like kind of scored by the engine of the car and what's going on with these trucks and the shifting and gear shifting and the transmission and the tires and the mud. The sound design is similar to Duel in that way. Yes. Yeah. There's just no music. Um, Very, very little. There's a little bit in the beginning, obviously. And then if they turn the radio on, there's some of that to kind of. But those are just such brief moments. There's no actual score to the back half of this film. Um, and yet the uh, action and the tension stays solid throughout. I was really impressed with how staying in the trucks of these cars, um, just some basic dialogue between two characters. Do this. No, do that. No, you're doing this wrong. This is crazy. You've got this coming up. And they're kind of like doing a lot of telling, not showing. Um, as far as like what you're, yeah. what they're encountering on this drive and the dangers ahead and all of that. Um, usually you would have a lot of heavy strings, um, and, uh, you know, some deep, uh, brass and everything to really kind of like, dun, 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 <laughs> give the, give the drama away and kind of build yeah. up tension. And there is none of that. Well, um, and that's very much because, you know, it's a, it's very much a product of its time and place, you know, and this was like. Right when the whole French New Wave movement was really kicking into gear. And, you know, a lot of those hallmarks is really just, you know, naturalism, right? Like they tried to approach fictional storytelling almost through the lens of a documentary, you know, and use natural lighting and, you know, not have it be over engineered from a sound design perspective, uh, which they obviously did here, but also from a scoring perspective, right? Like, well, well, you know, music doesn't play when you're just out and about the way it does in a film. And so I think that. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if Clouseau is considered like among as a French new wave filmmaker, but even if he's not, we definitely see a lot of those hallmarks coming through in this film. Yeah, but when I think of French new wave, for whatever reason, I think of like cityscapes, I think of dynamic locations, I think of at least changing locations to think that you're going to do a French new wave film in the cab of an old 1950s military truck. Uh, is difficult. That's just a feat of dude, strength. Dude, so many of those films take place in cars, dude. There's like just giant 15... Every single French New Wave film has a 15-minute scene of them driving around in a fucking car, dude, with no music. What are you talking about? But for like an hour <laughs> and a half of like just car shit? Like, that's a lot, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know, for sure. But um, but yeah, so like I said, I think that really like this whole like washboard sequence is really one of the film's like highlights where... You know, basically to set it up, it's that there's this particularly rough stretch of road where when they're driving, it's going to cause these extreme vibrations if they don't drive very fast, which is above 40, or really slow, which is like keeping it under five. And so it creates this thing where... Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it creates a thing where, you know, you've got 
the first vehicles got so much distance that they're like, hey, you know what? We can afford to take this one slow. And then, you know, it's not current days where they have cell phones or walkie-talkies and they can just whip the shit back and forth. And so then we go back to old boy Mario and he's like, you know what? We're, we're so far behind. We've got to gun it. And so then it creates a situation where as they go forward, like Mario's about to run into this freaking truck that's going five miles an hour and they can't speed up until they get past it or else they're going to be at risk of exploding. And so I thought it was just, you know, again, like setting up this situation, this this very tense sort of situation. I think that's where a lot of the suspense comes from is just in the writing and the script and the, and the setting up of the situation just as much as the execution. And I thought that sure. they did a really strong job of doing that. Yeah, yeah. It never felt so ham-fisted uh, where they were giving you the rules of that scene of the trials yeah. that they're going to be encountering. So when they, they called this road the washboard because it's one of those uh, graded roads that goes, gah, 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 you know, yeah. normally mm-hmm. when you go across at a certain speed, they're carrying a buttload of fucking nitroglycerin in the back. Yeah. So that's a bad combo, right? So the first car all of a sudden has engine troubles. So they went from the 40. Now they've got to like ease it down really delicately down to the negative five, you know, under the five rule because they can no longer do the 40. So uh, they're like, we'll just take it slow from here because we can't ramp up our speed after they fix their engine. They lose their head start. Then you got uh, homeboy Joe uh, and Mario coming and taking the rear, you know, cruising it, the doing the 40 still. They did not have the engine problems. And uh, yeah, uh, you, you kind of know what's going on, you know, and you're cutting back and forth between these two cars pretty regularly. Um yeah, I thought the pacing was great. The tension was done very well. Again, not really much score, not really much exteriors either. Uh, all, I mean, you get a little bit of uh, road exterior shot here and there just to kind of show the, just kind of break it up a little bit, but nothing much. Yeah. And then after that, we get like another really strong set piece. And that's the whole thing with the unfinished bridge, which I thought was probably the second most impressive uh, piece of the entire film. And that's basically where... You know, they need to turn this giant truck around and there's just this small piece of unfinished bridge. And not only is it just entirely small, but it's also rotted and there's a pothole there that they need to avoid. And so he basically like, you know, Joe gets out and he's examining it and Mario backs up the truck and basically knocks this minecart off and possibly Joe with it. Except when he gets out and looks down, he sees that Joe's actually scaling up the mountain, trying to escape the situation in his cowardly way that he does so often. And, you know, Mario uses his wits to basically find a way to get through it. And then it looks like they're going to have a rough time transferring from the bridge to the solid dirt. And then he's able to, you know, use some shrubs and and, and split that difference and get some traction uh, to be able to get the truck up. And even then, the trailer is going to grab hold of the suspension wire that's holding the bridge up and slowly pull it down to where the entire thing comes crashing down at the very last minute just as he's able to get that truck up and over And uh, again, you know, I think it just did a really good job of and look, here's the thing like we Ryan. So, you know, a lot of the films that we sort of grew up on are like these, you know, 80s and 90s films. And I feel like the 90s were kind of like the action thriller decade, right? Like so many of the generic, you know, movies, blockbuster movies that you would see. Um, you know, we're really sort of these like action films and, you know, so stuff like that scene that we just, that we just talked about right there with the bridge. Like, I feel like we've since seen that so many different times in, you know, probably more effective and more efficient iterations. Um, and to your point, you know, usually there's a lot more scoring and there's a lot more strings, but 
you know, looking back to this being from 1953, you kind of have to figure that this was probably one of the films that kind of set the template for a lot of those types of set pieces that we would see later. Yeah, I mean, it's my understanding that this is kind of the the coup de grace of the film, right? This is this, there's a set piece that everybody knows when they talk about this film is the bridge scene, and you see both trucks go over it. It's a pretty long scene because uh, you spend a lot of time with the first couple. Uh, Mario and uh, and Bimba going over and getting their truck and then the tri- trials and tribulations of the mud and all of that. And then here come, um, uh, excuse me, Luigi and Bimba. And then I keep wanting to call them the other way because they look like Mario and Luigi. But anyway, uh, you get the <laughs> idea. So then you go back to Mario and Mr. Joe. And then, you know, we've already seen, it's already been established what, uh, you know, the obstacles that they have uh, in front of them. They don't know, but we know as the audience because we just, saw um mario and and bimba do it so uh yeah it's you know it was impactful i see your point if michael bay had done this or if this had been a uh uh you know rennie harlan feature or something you know this would have been handled a lot differently they would have pulled the e-brake and power slid into that turn and uh you know (laughs) one one bottle of nitroglycerin would have went over the cliff and and exploded and the explosion would have pushed the truck forward off the bridge you know that would have been cool i I, I thought this through <laughs> and then, and then, and then, uh, of course, you know, uh, what is it? The Joe character, you know, shows up at the last minute with like the seat of his pants burned away to where we see his ass for a little comic relief or something, right? Yep. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, and then we're, and then there's really just sort of one other larger set piece, which wasn't, I feel like, you know, we have two really strong set pieces, and then the third was kind of the least suspenseful of all of them. I kind of wish they had a uh, reversed course. It's, basically where both of them run into the boulder and they have to like sort of pour the nitroglycerin in there. And there just wasn't really quite the stakes uh, involved with that one as there was with the other two. Uh, The scene where he's kind of slowly pouring in the nitro, I suppose you get a little bit of that, but I didn't really get at any moment like, Oh yeah. Like they're like, no part of me thought that they were going to fuck that up and they didn't. And I thought the whole, you know, the best part of it was like the, the whole Rube Goldberg machine that they come up with for the hammer, you know, the, the, (laughs) for those, by the way, for those listening, if you don't know what a Rube Goldberg is, it's uh, one of those crazy contraptions that does a really easy thing or a simple thing, but like with like unnecessary. So like the breakfast machine from Pee Wee's Herman, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, right? Yeah. <laughs> like there's all these strings or attached Doc and the marble uh, goes down the, or like mousetrap, yeah. like the game mousetrap. How Doc Brown feeds his dog in the beginning of Back to the Future, right? Yeah, yeah, things. exactly. So they do this whole thing with this hammer and it set up to all these strings and blah, blah, blah. And they set this off and it drops the hammer literally drops the hammer and explodes sends uh sends old boy Luigi flying off a little bit but it's okay cuz uh you know they just kind of dust him off no harm no foul um and then and then this and then the script does something very interesting and Ryan I want your opinion on this so you know they go through these sort of three op- three increasingly difficult obstacles though as i mentioned i didn't find the third one to quite be as such and you know they make it everything's fine they're just cruising along and in a very unceremonious fashion we're watching joe and mario drive and then in the distance up ahead with you know very little sound design and it's a wide shot we see an explosion very far off in the distance and it's very sort of quickly revealed and understood that it is Luigi and Bimba and that their, you know, truck just exploded for whatever reason. Right. They don't even tell us. Um, and yeah. it was just so casually handled. And I thought that was so interesting. What did you think about that? I was wondering the same thing that I thought that was very odd that we spend so much time with these four characters and all of that, too. And 
one minute you got, and I guess this is life, but one minute you got uh, uh, Luigi and uh, Bimba, you know, having a heart to heart. And Bimba was shaving in the mirror and he's talking about, well, if I got to go to my grave, you know, it's my family's tradition that we go handsome type of thing. You know, we're looking good, always staying fresh and crispy. And then we cut back because we're, you know, constantly throughout act two, we're just going back car to car to car to car to car. And then that's the thing, right? So uh, then we go back to Joe and uh, Mario and then they come around the corner and you see a thing of smoke. And it's like, well, adios. And that was the end of that. So <laughs> I thought it was a little abbreviated. I almost wonder if they didn't have the money to handle the explosion itself. But I thought there could have been some setup or explanation as to why the nitroglycerin blew them up. Uh, you know, what happened, right? Um, yeah. You know, with with how much time we spent in the, the with these characters, a uh, little bit of. Uh, I don't know. A little bit of wrap up. What did you think? How yeah, you a little bit, a little bit of ceremony. I see it both Ish. ways. Like it's one of those things where I think, like, you know, as an emotional film watcher, like the emotional part of me, like wants that, you know, ceremony and wants to, you know, give them their their due send off. But like the intellectual part of me, like, really appreciates the decision. It's a ballsy decision, I think. It is. But it's also, it's one where, like, the film isn't. Okay, so this is what I'm struggling with right now, which is like the the perspective of the film. Like it really is ultimately Mario's film, but you also do it does kind of take time to give you the other characters' sensibilities and perspectives. So I would argue that like look, if we had just if this was a little bit leaner of a film and we had really just stayed with Mario and his perspective the entire time and didn't really get to see, you know, Joe and to a lesser extent Luigi's I, I could see that decision being really, really impactful and making a ton of sense. As it stands now, I think it's a ballsy decision, but I think at that point, the film that you've made kind of deserves a little bit more of a scene there. But at the same time, you've also gone out of your way to like not play up. Like we just talked about how there's no score, right? So in many ways, it, it has gone out of its way to avoid a lot of those overly what would later become Hollywood tropes and sensibilities. Sure. Right. Um, so, but yeah, but ultimately I do think it lacks. Maybe that's bit. it. Maybe I'm just too used to said tropes. Maybe I'm just too, uh, ingrained. Maybe that's just too ingrained, you know? Cause to me, this feel that's felt like, um, you know, if you were watching, uh, fast and the furious and, uh, you know, Vin Diesel pulls around the corner and his homies just like, you know, gone off the bridge and we didn't, we never knew why we never saw, you know, a banana peel on the road or anything like that. He's just gone. And that's this. And it, I don't know, man. It yeah. just felt a little, little too abbreviated. There no, could no. have been something with how much time we spent with them because it was Bimba and uh, Mario or damn it. It was Bimba and Luigi <laughs> that like it was their moment when they blew up the rock with the nitroglycerin and the third uh, obstacle that they yeah. came up. Uh-huh. And we spent an entire chunk of time with them going over that bridge before Mario and Mr. Joe got there. So there was, you know, we had some enough time spent with these characters that they were, it was more of a group film at this point uh, than it was, like you said, Mario being our protagonist, sole protagonist, that we can just hang with him and whatever happens in his purview, uh, you know, we see it as he sees it. Um, Okay, now we can see the truck explode in the distance. Great. But this isn't that. This was more at this point a team film. And, uh, to just write off two characters so quickly and abruptly. Now, granted, uh, to your point, this, again, may 
have been kind of leaning into some French new wave uh, elements, in which case that's how life hits you, bro. Yeah, exactly. There one minute, gone the next, right? Like, that's exactly so. like, that's the thing. Like intellectually, I understand the decision. Emotionally, I find Williams it score, lacking. You know? So it's like you can make a case for either. Right. But yeah. And it's weird because even just saying it right now, the film does kind of straddle both lines. Yeah. You know, like it does introduce enough emotion. And look, you could easily achieve that by a quick scene. Like just show us with them for 30 seconds before it goes off. Right. Like they're just chit chatting, you know, close up on Luigi and Bimba. Hey, wow, that was great. Can't wait to make it through. Oh, what are you going to do? Like, right. Like that's how Michael Bay would have done it. Oh, man, we made it. What are you going to do when you get home? Oh, I'm going to give my wife a long hug. And like, oh, what are you going to do? I'm going to take a hot shower and drink a neat whiskey. <laughs> right. Like that's that's how that goes. And that's cheesy. And. and and overhanded, and so I like that they didn't go that far with that. But I'm sure there was a happy medium to be found. Remember the uh, remember the driving cat with Phil Hartman on Saturday Toots Night Live. Toots is the driving sketches? cat, bro. Toots is the driving cat. Yeah, that's what this reminded me of. <laughs> I wanted the Toots is the driving cat send off. Oh, that's funny because to me that was that was the very end with Mar with Mario again. We'll fucking get to that. That totally was Toots is the we'll driving to- cat. I cannot wait to talk about that scene. We'll come back to that horrible decision. But uh, yeah, well, Toots is. We wrap this up tight. <laughs> And uh, and we also do get a brief scene where, again, you know, part of what we haven't really touched on too much is just watching Joe's degradation from being, you know, ostensibly this badass mafioso guy at the beginning to just a sniveling coward by the end of it, you know? And I think that was the most interesting. In a way, you could almost argue that, like, Joe is the protagonist because he's the only one who changes. Or if he doesn't change, we at least get to see changes in his character because everybody else is the same person, uh, yeah. you know, at the end that they went in as. So, you know, there's he really no like character a... arcs to anybody except for Joe, which, again, even though he's not likable, I think makes him the most interesting character. Yeah, no, I agree. He kind of goes through like a bit of a Wayne Knight transition in Jurassic Park, you know, yeah. where, like he starts off. uh uh, you know, kind of tough and uh, edgy. And then by the end, he's, uh, you know, screaming and whining and struggling for his life. So definitely. It is what it is. Yeah. He's got a little so... bit of malaria. We'll give him a pass. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta give him a pass for that malaria. Just a yeah, scotch. Just a things. little malaria. Yeah. Just a little bit of malaria. <laughs> Nothing half a pill won't take care of back home. <laughs> some dirt on it. But uh, the one thing this uh, this uh, explosion does set up is the fact that, uh, you know, it's their route that they have to take and in exploding it burst the oil pipeline and now there is a crap ton of oil pooling in their road and uh that's going to pose a problem because when by the time they get to it it's already pooled quite substantially joe gets out to check it and it's about half you know waist high or so already uh but they have no choice but to try to cross so you know joe's going to get out he's going to guide the truck uh, and ultimately gets stuck now, here's the thing. Because of the nature, once Mario's moving, they can't afford to stop because if he stops in the middle of this oil, like they're stuck. There's no getting out. So even though it looks like Joe might get his leg ran over, uh, Mario's just going to close his eyes, grit his teeth and move forward. And sure enough, yeah, Joe gets his damn leg run over by a giant 18 wheeler. He passes out in the middle of this, you know, huge pool of oil. And on top of it, the truck still gets stuck. Look at that. So, uh, you know, he's uh, floating around, Joe, that is, 
Mario gets out, is able to find a stake, drive it into the ground to create an anchor, grab a cable, secure it to the truck, and, you know, cinch himself out, basically. But uh, not at severe cost to Joe's leg. Yeah, he makes like a makeshift winch. What's that? Which I thought was pretty inventive. I saw yeah, that. I was yeah. like, oh, that would probably work. No, That's pretty that cool. Mario's That's quite pretty a resourceful shit. little bastard. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> he's the kind of guy who knows to uh, take the fire escape when he's uh, laying with a married woman. You know, when, when the husband hey, gets home. Yes. Because he definitely seems like that kind of guy. I'm just saying. Not that that came out of nowhere, but he totally did that in a different town Absolutely. when he had money. Once or 100%. twice. 100%. Yeah. He's, he's taken a, a warp pipe out of some trouble before. Yes. <laughs> um, and I thought that was interesting, too. Like, we didn't really talk about Mario as a protagonist at all. But I thought it was funny that even though he's in this, like, poor town with seemingly very few women, except for one very attractive waitress girl, um, he still, like, just carries himself like a swinging playboy. And, you know, he's like kind of that guy's always got like a half grin on his face. Mr. Cool, you know, like doesn't matter where you take him. Like he's always in charge. And, um, yes. you know, he kind of this guy was that Paul Newman. Through the, he was a the French film. Paul Newman. Yeah, no, he totally <laughs> was. Mind yeah. And, and yeah. even, you know, even though he does act out of self-interest, ultimately, you know, in terms of signing up, he's just doing it for the money. Like, he really steps up during any situation. You know, he's the one who is courageous and brave and steps up and gets the jobs done. And not only that, but he's also, he does show a kindness because he's constantly making excuses for Joe. And Joe's a little yes. pussy bitch throughout the entire thing. And Mario's always like, well, guys, he's not that bad because he had a couple drinks with them or whatever. So, right. <laughs> so I have this in my notes because like right away I was a little confused. Like, do these cats know each other? Because they're allied up right away in the film early in act one. As soon as Dr. Or excuse me, Mr. Joe, as soon as Mr. Joe steps on the scene, um, you know, Mar- Mario's like, this is my guy. And the only thing I, only thing I could really connect to uh, is the that they're both French. So, and I think, honestly, I think that's it. And I think that's kind of part of the statement. And that's another thing that I didn't mention that I thought was interesting. They're just about so this far film. away from home, you think? Yeah, and I think there's kind of an element of sort of, you know, like commenting on, you know, nationalism or, you know, tribalism or whatever it is. And not even necessarily a negative light, but just um, like one of the things that, uh, again, we didn't mention about this film is the way that it incorporates several different cultures not only in, you know, the story itself in the town, but even going so far as to have multiple spoken languages within the film. So there yeah, are characters that go right. back and forth between speaking a combination of French, uh, English, and I believe Italian, maybe? And um, Spanish. I think we and get Spanish. Spanish. Yes, because I believe yeah. they're in they're in Venezuela, right? Is that where the thing yeah. takes place? Yeah, I read yeah. either Venezuela or I think the original uh, novel that it's based on is uh, Guatemala, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Question mark. But yeah, yeah, it's yeah. something down there. So, yeah. So I think it's like, you know, you've got this giant melting pot, you know, of people who are there for various reasons. And, you know, I think and I think that's very much a sort of natural human behavior. You know, I right. think that if you were to take, you know, nine cats of three different, you know, cultures or nationalities that you'd basically get three groups of the three people that shared a similar nationality. That's not to say that they couldn't work it out with the others or anything like that. Um, but I do think that there's just sort of a natural element of like. You know, we the people that look and sound like us are the people that we gravitate towards, right? Just inherently right, right. as a natural r- response. And there's like a couple of quick throwaway lines where they uh, discuss where in France each of them are from, uh, Mr. Joe and Mario, and like they kind of recognize each other's neighborhoods. Uh, I think they even said like, is such and such store still there? And he's like, yeah, it's still there, you know, kind of thing because he's been away for so long. So uh, there were some recognizable 
uh, connection or bond between them. So I got that. I just, you know, like I said, uh, Mr. Joe kind of is a cocksucker from Git. Oh, yeah. And oh, for so sure. For Mario to like defend this guy. I mean, we're talking this guy's pulled a gun out and like threatened this guy's homies. Like he just shows up on the scene like a like a terror. And, um, you know, Mario's got his back from jump. And so it, it just kind of seemed a little bit. But I get it like that. You're absolutely right. If you were out in the middle of, you know, bumfuck and, and uh, you run into one other American, it's like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Is that Walmart still there? Yeah. It's still there. <laughs> cool. All right. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so perhaps there was some sort of commentary there. Um, but I did think it was interesting, again, to just, you know, hear all these different languages and see, you know, the way that different people interact. And then there's probably also an element of, you know, once these four guys get on the road, because I think that I think that Mario's French, Joe's French, Luigi is probably from Venezuela. I believe he's local. And then I'm sure that the the Bimbop guy or whatever his name is, is a, you know, a transplant <laughs> Um, <laughs> BB Bop, is that what it is? Yeah, beep, beep, bleep, blorp. Yeah, good old bleep, blorp. <laughs> bleep, blorp, bloop. Um, yep. Yeah, so uh, once they get on the road, like, all that shit's out the window, right? Like, there's just four dudes who are in it to survive, and, and that's that. And, and none of that ever comes into play ever again. None of that nationalism, like, yeah. nobody gives a car shit. They all speak the same B. language. Which team like, are you on? Yeah, that's you all know? you get. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I, so I think that, that maybe there's an element of that going on too, where it's like, Oh yeah. You know, once when you're in kind of that, uh, you know, what's the saying, uh, everybody's religious in the foxhole or whatever. Right. Yeah. Kind of one of those things like, Oh yeah. You know, you might, you might buddy up with you know, your, your cultural, uh, people sharing a, a similar culture language, whatever. But you know, when the shit goes down, you know, you're just going to grab whoever's around, whoever's willing to go in it with you. Sure. This so. is my guy now. Yep. <laughs> we don't understand each other except through gestures and we're just going to make it work, dude, because uh, it's way better than going this shit alone. I know a lot of people that are married that, that way. <laughs> 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 Till death do us part. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, and you know, and ultimately death is going to part Joe and Mario because Mario uh, does end up getting Joe back in the truck after they nice make segue, it out of buddy. the... Nice thank segue. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I've been working <laughs> on my segues. And, uh, yeah, and uh, when they, you know, they get going and, oh boy, Joe's just, you know, worse for the wear. Uh, his, he's, he's losing blood fast. He's sweating. He's starting to lose consciousness. And, you know, it's the middle of the night. You know, we get the Mario telling him to sort of hang on. We're almost there, buddy. Um, but to your point, you know, without the sort of swelling swings, uh, strings that Michael Bay would incorporate or a lesser filmmaker, you know, just kind of let it play out by the time, you know, right before Mario shows up to the oil well, uh, that's when we see Joe take his sort of final breath and pass away. And we understood that, you know, he's dead and he's not coming back. Uh, even if the other people don't recognize right away, he does Mario. That is get sort of a, uh, hero's welcome when he finally shows up, having made it to the oil well. And, you know, all the men pull him out of the truck and congratulate him. And, uh, after a little bit of that, he stumbles towards the fire and collapses to the ground, but not to worry. He's not dead. He's just fallen asleep. And so for the next morning, uh, you know, he ends up getting a check for $4,000, which is, you know, his cut and, uh, oh boy, uh, oh boy, Joe's cut. But again, you know, doing the math, that's $40,000 to watch your friend die in addition to almost dying yourself. I really feel like he should have gotten a lot more than that. Nah, I mean, yeah, they weren't that, but they weren't that close. <laughs> <laughs> but they were from the same country, Ryan. Okay. It puts a that's premium. Fair. 
fair. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, and then they unload the Nitro and everything's great and Mario's got his money. And uh, then to your point, Ryan, we do get the world's shortest third act, which contains... Just a moment that I think betrays character and I'm, you know, it was one of these things like it's not, it doesn't ruin it for me. It's not the mist. It's not the village. It's not one of those ending decisions that's like so bad as to invalidate the entire film that came before it. But it's just, it's just a really upsetting, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't listen to the story at hand. You know, you wanted it to go a certain way and you, to use a a term that we love here. Yeah. Ham fistedly just forced that shit in at the end. And that's with, uh. Mario doing his quote-unquote cocky dance in the truck. So, you know, Mario went through this whole thing, finally made it, all the different travails and everything that's happened, and he's apparently so happy that he decides that on this very, very narrow passageway on the side of a tall mountain (laughs) and a fucking 18-wheeler or whatever, he's just going to sort of careen it back and forth across the entire lane, back and forth, because he's so happy, and oh no, last minute, I'm losing control, falling over the cliff, no, our hero died, and it's like, god Damn it, dude. Why did you do that? It's such a stupid fucking decision, man. Like, it's just... Toots is a driving cat, It's, it's such Toots is dude. Because here's the thing, dude. Like, you already lost three of the four people. Like, we have already experienced tremendous consequences. Like, you drove it home. You know, you can have your protagonist win, but at the cost of literally everyone around him. And we still get that this was, like a very large trial. You didn't have to, or if you're going to take them out, do it in a more elegant way, dude. Right. Like, or I got foreshadow this. that for this? shit. What's, what's I got up? this. Okay. You, you cut, you, you see, you see, uh, you see old boy driving away. Then you come back to the oil field and you got two guys working the oil field and be like, all right, boss, just like you said, 49 cases of nitroglycerin. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I ordered 50 cases. He's like, no, no, I got 49 right here. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. <laughs> and you got one lone case of nitroglycerin on the back of that truck. That's not like bad. I like that, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, and as he's in. going back and forth, like you see it like roll, you know, and then hit. Yeah, but it doesn't explode. It's like it starts like, to whoosh. rock back and forth. And then it goes the other way. Black. It starts to roll the other way. You're like, oh no, oh no, oh no! It hits. It doesn't explode. Whoosh! Hey, I love this, dude. This is money. <laughs> also, a cat is driving. <laughs> and then Phil Hartman comes on and narrates his yes. ending, and then he fell off the cliff or whatever the fuck you'd say. Oh, rest in peace, Phil. <laughs> but yeah, dude. But it's just like, dude. Like, like as a filmmaker, you're like, no, we have to kill the protagonist. It's like really because because this is kind of clumsy. You can't just have him drive off into the sunset. Nope, nope. Got to kill him. And here's the thing: if that's the case, show us like foreshadow that shit right have moments throughout the film where we see mario be the victim of his own cockiness right because at no point in the previous two hours and 30 minutes of this two hour and 36 minute movie do we see mario like even make the slightest misstep as a result no he's very calculated yeah exactly so it just doesn't like so you know even little things right like if we had seen him make a misstep with Linda or if we had seen him drop something or right. he didn't quite make it but like he's always 
He's always just barely making it. So to have him do this is just a very strong betrayal of character, I believe. Yeah, there was never any fly-by-the-seat-of-his-pants moments where he was just this footloose, like, oh, I'm just winging it through life. Like, whatever. Yeah. I don't need a condom. You know, all these... <laughs> you know, whatever. He's just, uh, you know, he's very calculated, very methodical. He's always in control of the situation. Like I said, very atypical Paul Newman-esque, you know, um, or Humphrey Bogart, you know, where it's yeah. just like you all alpha male, you know, kind of uh, always got this you know if you're in some shit it's like hey what do you think I, I would go ask him you know like he seems like he knows but then to just have him do this whole uh you know jerking the wheel left and right all willy-nilly it's like what do you fucking think on this like you said <laughs> on a very treacherous sandy road after you just got through doing this shit like you think you'd be like a little shaken and you just yeah, exactly. die in your lap like jesus christ <laughs> also you're gonna have like a sing-along moment and that you know in the car it just yeah. seemed a little weird it was totally weird, dude. And like I said, it was totally one of the, a case of a director like, nope, nope, everybody's got to die. You know, just was making sure everybody died at the end of that film. But then kill him in a cool way. Shoot exactly, him or something. Dude. I don't yeah. know. Like, have the whole like, thing. You no, know, your ending was maybe, great, dude. Like, the ending you just maybe, fucking workshopped here was brilliant. I love it. Maybe there wasn't even money involved. Maybe they just, like, tricked him. And they're like, okay, money's in that tent over there. And he's like, in that tent over there, huh? And he's like, yeah, in that tent over there. <laughs> <laughs> they just look at each other knowingly. And he walks over, shoot the guy, you know, your gunshot. It's like, oh, okay, there's never any money. This fucking oil company. So, I don't know. <laughs> Someone yeah. call me. I have Any- all the endings <laughs> to your movies. <laughs> uh, if only we could turn back the time 70 years. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I will say, though, uh, that in the in the second time in just a few weeks, we've seen a, a semi truck violently drive off a That's cliff true. and explode to end our film. <laughs> Absolutely. Credits. Blowing so- up good. Yeah, I was like, hey, it's duel. It's du- duel. <laughs> duel. <laughs> the French version with a silent X. Duel. 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 All right. So, yeah. So, you know, but like I said, even in spite of that ending, you know, it just felt like a like a bad ham-fisted ending. It wasn't yeah. – I didn't feel like it, you know, ruined the entire experience before or anything like that. So yeah. um, I still came away loving, loving this film. I thought everything it did was, was really strong. Um, you know, again, I, I do understand it, it took a while to get going and, and was, you know, intentionally along with its setup, but it worked for me. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to go ahead and go into these, uh, three adjectives, Ryan. I'm going to let you go. And then I've got a little bit of a wrinkle I'm going to throw on mine. So, uh, what you got? Ooh, yeah. wrinkles. Yeah, got yeah, yeah. Okay. Wrinkly like a well, ball sack. I'll be your fabric softener, buddy. Let's get you through this. I got, <laughs> you want uh, ball sack smoother? so uh my first one is uh uh, these are dude look here i'm just gonna get through this real quick because these are all no surprise sure uh it is bloated it's a bloated film it's a little long uh it's two and a half hours for what is a very simple concept it's a pretty long act one um you know, but for what it is, the the you know is it bloated yes but is it well crafted absolutely i mean this is (laughs) This is the, you know, this is the Russell Crowe of bloating. Like, if you're going to be bloated, be bloated like Russell Crowe. Like, be a little chiseled. Like, this is good. This he is makes, like he makes good... blow look kind of sexy, you know? Yeah, right, yeah. right. I, I mean, I, I wish I could think of a better example than that. It's a terrible example, but you get my idea. <laughs> This is a well-crafted bloat. Uh, you know, every <laughs> I was in it start to finish. Uh, there was never any time where, for being a two-and-a-half-hour film that not much is happening, I was never checking my watch. The movie, the uh, intense moments were intense. Everything hit. Everything landed, except for the ending. So, um, yeah. And then... Um, uh, I did. I did uh, have intense letdown because uh, you know the the very end 
of the film just kind of wrapped up. Uh, I was just like, whoa, all that for that? Like, meh. So, I, you know, meh, 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 meh. And then that was that. <laughs> so, I, um, those are my Absolutely. three. Bloated, well-crafted, I, uh, I totally and intense let down. How about you, Jason? Give us those wrinkles, buddy. <laughs> all right, man. Here we go. So, uh, I, I actually came up with uh, some colorful metaphors that act as the adjectives themselves, right? Kind of kind of inceptioning these metaphors. Uh, so what I'd like to do... Very French of you. <laughs> what I'd like to do is throw them at you and see if you can interpret what I meant by them. And then I would clarify. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, cool. Let's do it. All right, so check this out. So... My first adjective. Oh, by the way, these are these are fully hyphenated. Well, more than one words. So all, all, I would expect all of no them. less. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Ryan. The first one. What do I mean when I say that this film was a well-trimmed mustache? A well-trimmed mustache. Um, that it's like polished, or like that it's uh, you know, it's it's well groomed. And so, um, is it extraneous or, or is it necessary? Some of the parts are necessary. No, but for what it is, it's nice and tight. So I, I love if you that. like mustaches, it's nice and clean and it's, uh, you know, it's there for your enjoyment. It's not for everybody. Some people don't like mustaches, but oh. if you like mustaches, this is the best version of that thing. This went over so much better than I could have hoped for that. I'm going to do this every single time now because that is... <laughs> So much deeper than I intended. Like you gave me so much credit right now, looking so deep into that, and my—it's just a clever pun. But I love that. <laughs> You're like so, Mario, Luigi, mustaches, right? I mean, come on. So, so yeah. So what I intended by that is just to mean it's strongly edited, uh, well edited, okay. edit, trim, well trimmed, well edited, and then you throw the mustache on to make it a little colorful. But I love All what right. you had to say about it. <laughs> okay, here's my next thing. Second clever metaphor slash adjective. It is a jumpstart Cadillac. Ryan, what do I mean by that? Dude, I don't even jumpstart Cadillac. Jumpstart Cadillac. What do I mean by that? <sighs> like the Cadillac needs jumpstarting, or that the Cadillac is doing the jumpstarting? I mean, I'm asking you. What does it mean to you? Okay, okay. Um, a jumpstart Cadillac is it's. It's a it's a luxury item that uh, breaks down or is a little clunky at times. Okay, so right. when you get to enjoy it, uh, it's great. It's a fucking Cadillac, right? But then you know sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, it does this thing, and you got to like explain it to your friends. Like, no, no, stick with it. It's still a Cadillac, right? But like sometimes you got to give it a little nudge or a little push, and like you know, bear with me. Uh, we'll get to the Cadillac stuff soon, but you know we got to get get going here first. Yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah, no, that's I mean, that's pretty damn close. Uh, specifically, I was referring to the fact that it uh, it takes a while to get going. But once it's up and running, it's fucking money. Uh, kind of okay. like kind of like an old beer cool. vehicle. Right. It's like, OK, yeah, we sure. got to jumpstart it. And then we got to let it run for 15 minutes uh, in the driveway. But then once we jump in there, it's fucking solid, man. Like it's good all day. Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Dude, yeah. By the way, this exercise is like so quintessentially Ryan, because this is what, <laughs> this is how I talk on a daily basis. Anyone who's ever met me knows I've got the, like the shittiest analogies of all time. I'm constantly comparing everything to it's like. Yeah, you know, it's like a two-week-old milk. And they're like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Now, here's the thing, Ryan. I'm pretty sure that you're going to get this one right off the bat. This one does. This one, I don't think, requires as much. Uh, This film is a Maury Povich paternity test. What do I mean by that? Ooh. 
Maury Povich paternity test. This is actually the most confusing one for me. Oh, um, interesting. Don't overthink yeah. it. Scale it back. Very simply. Don't overthink it. Scale it back. Um, because you're you're constantly wondering, is this movie gonna fuck me? And then it fucks you. <laughs> and then it's like you pull out the envelope. You're like, ah, it fucked me good. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. Just very simply, it's a very suspenseful film. Every okay. time, well, that's every time what they I do said. that test, you're that's waiting. That's kind of what I they're said. Like, is it gonna be the like, father? Uh, is, is it gonna it be gonna... the mother? And it's like, it is not the father. You're like, ah. Ah, thanks, God. Ah, they made it off the bridge. Fantastic. Ah, great. So, uh, well-trimmed mustache, jumpstart Cadillac, Maury Povich paternity test, which are also names that I have kicked around for my punk band. All right. Yeah. Cool, yeah. <laughs> great ratings <laughs> from Ryan. Man. Star ratings from Jason. Ryan, what you got? Uh, I'm giving this one a solid B minus. Nice. Uh, this was not flawless victory. Look, I mean, I enjoyed this film. I am not in a rush to watch it again. I would not okay. recommend this to many people. I think that there are a certain, you know, genre of film viewer that would really enjoy this and take it all in for what it is, as you and I did. I enjoyed it on a one go, but I'm not going to go like watch this. I do want to see Sorcerer now. I have not seen Sorcerer, yeah, Billy Friedkin's uh, remake. Uh, from I believe seventy seven. Yep. Um, and I'm I'm really curious if I go back and watch Sorcerer now if they're gonna give us everything that we talked about that this didn't because we said oh like you know the 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 new wave filmmaker would have done this that and the other with this scene. I wonder if Billy Friedkin did that. You know what I mean? Like give yeah. us those action moments or the swelling score. I, you know, I do I'm think that there's music. I do think it's a little bit more conventional thriller in the way that it's a told. more Hollywood. And not honest, only right? that, yeah. but. Ryan, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you know, like, uh, you are not alone in, in your opinion. I don't know if you read this, but the studio head, when Mr. Clouseau turned in his film, said the same thing you did. He's like, dude, this thing is way too long. And they ended up cutting out 20 to 25 minutes from that opening 45 minutes of the right. town. And so they get to, and so they got to shit real quick. And then, you know, it wasn't until later and Criterion Collections and Director's Cuts and blah 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 um that, you know, the, you know, quote unquote authoritative, definitive version, whatever you want to call it, was released. Um but yeah, so, you know, uh, there are a lot of people that agreed with you about that. Sure, sure. Uh there's a couple things uh real quick before I pass to you for your grade um that I want to just go ahead and bring up while I got the mic. Uh, that is, we didn't talk about this. This was a huge success. This won the Palme d'Or uh, at Cannes Film Festival. It's a BAFTA film, uh, Best Film winner. Um, it did very well uh, internationally um, across the board. I know that uh, British cinema at the time, believe it or not, this sounds really weird to say um, in today's day and age where you could watch anything you want anytime you want, but uh, British cinema at the time was not too keen on subtitled films. They just didn't like foreign films. They were just all, you know, up each other's butts over there. And if it wasn't mm -hmm. English, it wasn't for them. So tea and crumpets are nothing. So, uh, you know, they that ended sounds up, like Britain. Uh, let, <laughs> yeah, they, they let this one in. It, you know, hi, all our friends in Britain. <laughs> um, so uh, I know we have listeners out there, but uh, yeah, sorry. We just lost a lot of listeners there. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but they let this one ride in the theaters. And so this was one of the earlier subtitled films that was allowed to give a full go. Also, um, uh, United States, we don't get a, a free hall pass either. We uh, trimmed a lot of that shit uh, when it came over here because of the anti-American sentiment. Yeah. Uh, apparently there was some of that going on with just like <laughs> fucking Americans, you know. How dare you, you talk know, ill of business? 
our capitalist <laughs> evil uh, oil barons, you know, and, and yeah, you know, exactly. uh, I know how we'll fix this slave labor, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which back in the 50s uh, hit a little different. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's still we're still doing that shit today, but, you know, it is what it is. So, yeah, uh, th- I thought that, that those were worth mentioning that this was a very well received film. So uh, B minus, um, you know, I think this is a hit and miss film, but I- I'm going to come right right down the middle swinging at that. How about you? Giving this film a solid four and a half out of five stars, man. I really, wow, really enjoyed this it. This guy loves it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely loved this film. Like I said, it's I understand why certain people wouldn't, but uh, I thought it was really effective. I'm also one of those people, like, I really appreciate when a film doesn't rely as heavily on score as a lot of films do, right? Because, like, that's ultimately a crutch, right? Like, you're like, ah, my film is slow. It's kind of a little dull. Like, is there a way that we can kind of spruce it up? Ah, let's go ahead sure. and throw in some music, you know? Yeah. Um, so to kind of just, like... Let your film hang out there and exist and live or die on its own merits of writing and direction and performance. Like, I I, I respect that decision very much. So, uh, you know, so, I mean, something like not having a strong score here. Like, look, I love a good score. I love a, a, a ridiculously overwrought Brian De Palma score as much as the next guy. But I also appreciate when cats like this are just like... Yeah, you know what? We're not going to give you our fucking score. You're going to watch a movie and use your brain. Well, it, it's kind of a feat of strength, right? It's like playing a three-string guitar. It's like, how's that fucker doing that shit? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, because that's a tool in your toolbox. I won't call yeah. it a crutch because, uh, you know, you, you look at Spielberg's Jaws, for example, or or even uh, you know Lucas's Star Wars, because obviously John Williams is the, the OG, right? So yeah. um, Star Wars was tremendously... Uh, distraught without john williams score notoriously speaking in history so and jaws same thing without this swelling uh you know you just got a robot shark in the water so um you know and it doesn't really hit so i I wouldn't call it a crutch it's a tool in their toolbox that they definitely use to great success this guy said fuck your tools i'm just going (laughs) you know swinging dicks you know just going raw dog in this shit and he did and he killed it so I like this movie. I don't mean to shit on it by giving it a B minus. Um, That's totally you know, fair. With you. It's not a, it's not a but unfair. I, I mean, I'm only yeah. knocking it because of its lack of rewatchability. I'm not sure. going to sink another two and a half hours into this shit for, uh, you know, repeat viewing for many years to pass. I would go watch Sorcerer just because I'd like to see what uh, Friedkin do, does with it under Hollywood's guys. But uh, yeah, um, you know, for what it was, I, I was never bored i like this film a lot um and if someone came up to me and told me they like this film i'd be like high five dude Psh, me too <laughs> <laughs> right on man right on so yeah that's our uh review of the wages of fear and uh for and we- homeboy uh, clouseau goes on to do lay diabolique which i'd like to see as well i've never seen that oh dude the one that i really want to see that he did is army of shadows i'm really really looking forward to that one one day cool cool yeah definitely. are either of those on our list by chance uh, I don't know, man. There's a lot of movies on that list. Uh, <laughs> Which we'll we will to, get to right now. <laughs> we'll have to go back and check it out. Uh, if not, you know, maybe one, if not both of them will make it on for uh, That's fair. for season three list. So, but yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this shit up as we do. And uh, going to encourage you all to reach out and communicate with us. As I do every episode, we'd love to hear from you, whether it's about the episode you just listened to or whether it's about a delicious muffin or crepe. That's right. For season two, you can now hit us up about crepes in addition to muffins and tell us all about the delicious combination of Nutella and banana or whatever you got going on over there. Listen, I'm going to commandeer this. Listen, you fuckers. Uh, (laughs) We're not we're doing this for self-indulgence. Okay. Uh, (laughs) 
we have egos and we need stroking. So if you could just talk to us, <laughs> we're so lonely. So, so lonely. I'm so desperately and lonely. So desperately lonely. Just throw us a fucking bone. Like, just throw us a, a, a DM and say, hey, good job. Thumbs up emoji. I'm like, that's all we need. That's all we need. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of, of, uh, of an interaction with you guys to know that you're out there. To know that we need a little something. So, Jason, <sighs> with that said... Where can these fuckers stroke our egos? <laughs> uh, a few different places, man. Uh, you can always hit us up, OG status, esotericus cinema at gmail.com. And then we're on all of your favorite social media platforms. Well, most of them, anyways. Haven't got on the TikTok yet, but we are on the Twitters and the Instagram. We've got esotericus cinema at both of those. And then for Ryan, we've got the Ryan Siebel and Ryan underscore Siebold. And for myself, we've got Jason Aberrant. That's on both platforms. So go ahead and hit us up, find us, and let us know what you thought. Like I said, we're and desperately, If you go to Esoterica lonely. Cinema on Twitter or Instagram, we're both tagged in both those things. And yeah. you can find our appropriate handles uh, on either one of those locations. Uh, if you want to, uh, you know, come find me and talk shit about Jason behind his back. Hey, you know where to get me. <laughs> And then, of course, you can always go check out our awesome website, esotericacinema.com. There's a lot of good stuff on there in addition to web players and past episodes and all sorts of good stuff. You've also got our master film list that we choose all of our films at the end of every episode from. And we encourage you to download that so you can at least sort of see high level all the different films that we're choosing from, see the different ones available, and uh, also maybe play along here at home when we pull at the end of the episode. So... We're going to go ahead and do that right now. Oh, by the way, did just want to also mention one last thing, which is uh, I know that we have discussed previously on this uh, season how uh, we're going to do uh, 30 episodes. We've decided actually to make it a little bit shorter. So we're going to do 20 episodes, okay? Uh, we did 20 episodes last season. We're going to do 20 episodes this season. We're going to do 20 episodes next season. 20 episodes, that's our season. Super solid. So with that being said, we've really only got about five or four four movies more before the end of the season. Um, Thank so, God. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be able to um, retool. Uh, we are going to uh, sort of phase out our bonus episodes, take some of that content, reintroduce it elsewhere. Uh, but there is some really good stuff in there that we think that you guys would really enjoy. So just need to find a different way to present that. I'm um, going to do some shorter form stuff in addition to our traditional long form stuff. So a lot of stuff that we want to get going. So we're just going to cap off this season a little bit early so that we can make those adjustments and get started on them a little bit earlier. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into what our next movie is going to be. Now, as always, we are using our random.org true random number generator to make this decision. We're going to come to one to 200 and we're going to generate a number. Now that number is 104. 104, guys. So uh, go ahead and check out what number 104 is. I haven't gotten there yet myself, uh, but I'm going there now. So come over to 104. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, this was a, this was like a, I remember this was a later edition. I think it was kind of like a last minute. And I just got it in there right before we launched the season. Um, this is an animated film, Japanese animated film called Perfect Blue. And if you uh, are not familiar with it, it's it's very, very highly regarded. Um, I know actually surprisingly little about it just because, once again, uh, trying to stay away from getting into too much of it. But, Ryan, I'm sure you have a description for us. 
I do. It's a psychological thriller from 1999 uh, from Satoshi Kon. Uh, oh, boy, this is a really brief uh, uh, summary here. Talking about a singer quits her band to become an actress and sheds her good girl image to further her career. <laughs> Something tells me it's going to be a little bit more involved than that. Yeah, it looks dope. I'm looking at the animation right now and uh, it looks really sick. This has got to be one of your... Uh, one of your editions, IMDb has something a little more uh, verbose. A pop singer gives up her career to become an actress, but she slowly goes insane when she starts being stalked by an obsessed fan and what seems to be a ghost of her past. Ah, there, that's there it is. That's, your that's a film that Jason puts on the list. <laughs> <laughs> All Insanity right. and ghosts. I was like, pop singer struggles with image. No, no, there's got to be something more here. Ah, yeah, that was uh, the first one could have been Josie and the Pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Britney Spears's Crossroads. (laughs) Yeah, I was. I mean, yeah, I am stronger than yesterday. (laughs) So, yeah, once again, we will be looking at the animated film Perfect Blue on our next episode of Esoterica Cinema. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today and looking at the wages of fear. And we will see you next time on Esoterica Cinema. It's time for America's favorite game show, Wishes of Welcome back, everybody, to Wages of Fear, the show where contestants pit themselves against dangerous stunts, offering severe physical consequences. All for the right to win prizes from their wish list, the catch, the wish list is designed entirely by their spouse. Today, we're joined by a lovely couple, Cletus and Brandine out of Jacksonville, Florida. Cletus, how long have you two lovebirds been married for? 13 wonderful years, Alan. I love you, Brandine. I love you, sugar butt, and that sexy ass of yours. I put it on the line for you, my precious pinochle chip. Now, of course, when Cletus says that he's putting his ass on the line, he means that literally. As right now, you guys are playing Wages of Fear's most popular game, Ass on the Line, where one of our brave contestants must sit balanced atop a mere 12-gauge cable hanging 30 feet above a pool of shark-infested waters. The catch, it's not water in the pool, but boiling hot lava featuring sharks specially bred in the mountains of Machu Picchu to handle molten hot temperatures. Those sharks ain't got nothing on you, you huge hunk of man meat. You're my whole life, my luscious lily pad. Now remember, Cletus, you've got to stay balanced up there for 20 minutes, so just another 18 to go. And, uh, remind me, what are we playing for again, Alan? Cletus, according to the wish list your wife filled out before the show, this contest is worth a 12-pack of Slice Co. Steak Knives. Slice Co. We hire kids out of high school because their naive asses don't know better. You're my dream man, you radiant Adonis. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I love you too, honey, but uh, Alan, did, did you say steak knives? Yes, sir, that's what your wife wrote on the list. Alan, I'm a girl that loves a good steak. Honestly, Alan, I didn't realize how dangerous these games is going to be. Uh, when your producers approached us, I was figuring we were set to play horseshoes or cornhole or something. Uh-oh, it's the lookout siren. And you know what that means, audience. It's time for an F5. Oh, hell, what's an F5? Why, it's only the most dangerous storm you could find yourself in. Better look out for those winds. 
Oh shit, baby girl, this wind's rattling me like a couple of meth head teeth. I want those knives. You hold strong, my morally ambiguous Lithuanian tax collector. <laughs> well, that's kind of a weird one, but anything for you, my sweet shot of blue label whiskey. Our man Cletus holding on in impressive fashion. He'll just have to outlast the swarm of wasps coming his way, and those knives should be his. Oh, god dang it, wasps! I hate wasps, ow! Yes, we know! You indicated as much on the pre-show questionnaire. Ow, god dang it! These bees, I can't! I'm sorry, baby girl! Oh, I'm sorry, that's just too bad. Cletus, my spicy quesadilla! Hold on, I'm coming for you. Well, it looks like Cletus and Brandy won't be going home with the steak knives after all. But join us next week when the Maitlands face a school of man-eating piranhas in hopes of winning a tremendous pair of rollerblades on... Bridges of Life.